Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Every wrong thought that Satan tries to place in your mind is built upon a lie. Satan is a liar. He is the father of all lies. And if we're going to be successful in winning the spirit wars that every one of us is engaged in, it's important for us to be able to recognize the lies of the evil one. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Jesus once said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. After all, didn't Satan persuade Adam and Eve to disobey God by telling them a lie? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress exposes four common falsehoods that Satan is still planting in the minds of Christians. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. The Bible teaches that some of our greatest battles in life are not external, but internal. When we become fatigued, when we grow weary of all the responsibilities on us, that's when we begin to hear competing voices speaking in the secret places of our mind. It's when we're susceptible to believing lies. Things like, I'm not good enough. Or how about this one? I've worked hard, and I deserve this little compromise. Well, on today's program, I'm going to bring four of Satan's dark lies into the light of day. We're going to expose Satan's deceitful ways and replace them with God's truth. In addition, I've written a book to help you. It's called The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. You see, Satan wants nothing more than to put you in a defensive position in which you live in fear and believe the lies that he throws your way every day. Satan knows that fear will consume you, wear you down, and ultimately discourage you to the point of losing hope. But my book, The Divine Defense, places the indispensable tools for victory into your hands, and I want you to have a copy. My book is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. I'll say more about the book and other resources later, but right now it's time to get started with the next message in our series called The Divine Defense. I've titled today's message, Satan's Four Favorite Lies. John Gardner once said, good thoughts bear good fruit, bad thoughts bear bad fruit, And each man is his own gardener. It's true, we're responsible for the thoughts we cultivate in our minds. Thoughts that lead to choices, choices that shape our life and our eternity. But it's also true that there's another force at work in the garden of our minds. As we saw last time, Satan, either through other people, through neutral medium, even through his own voice... Satan tries to slither into our minds and plant wrong thoughts that lead us away from the God we love. Every wrong thought that Satan tries to place in your mind is built upon a lie. And that shouldn't surprise us. John 8, 44, Jesus said, Satan is a liar. He is the father of all lies. And if we're going to be successful in winning the spirit wars that every one of us is engaged in, it's important for us to be able to recognize the lies of the evil one. 
And that's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to look at four of Satan's favorite lies. And all four of them are found in Genesis 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And what we're going to see today is how each of these lies build upon one another and ultimately lead us away from God. The first lie you find in Genesis 3 is the foundational lie that led to the first sin in the universe and every other sin since that time. It is a lie that is built on the feeling of discontent. It is the lie that says you don't have what you really need to be happy in life. You do not yet have what you really need to be happy in life. Famed uh, basketball superstar David Robinson tells about watching super superstar Michael Jordan uh, catch the championship trophy when he played for the Chicago Bulls. And uh, Robinson writes about watching that experience. He says, here I am with five cars, two houses, more money than I ever thought I would have. What more could I ask for? And yet here's Michael Jordan He has more than me, and boy, I'd like to have some of the things he has. But is the world setting a trap for us? What I had should have been plenty. But no matter how much I had, it didn't seem like enough because material things cannot satisfy your deepest needs. David Robinson is right, except in one point. It's not the world that is setting a trap for us. It is the God of this world who is setting the trap for us, who is baiting us with the thought that God has not yet given us what we really need to be happy in life. In fact, it was that lie that he used to entice the first woman into the first sin. Look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, think about this. God had planted Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden. He had planted perhaps thousands of trees. He had said, you can eat of any and all of these trees except one. And what does Satan do? He says to Eve, do you want to be happy in life? Do you want to be fulfilled in life? All of those thousands of trees are not enough. What you need is that fruit. From that tree, the one thing you do not have, and then you will experience happiness to the greatest degree ever. And God says, or Satan says the same thing to us. Satan tempts us, he baits us with this lie. Do you really want to be happy in life? You don't have what it takes yet to be happy. Instead, if only you could live in that size of a home, if only you could drive that kind of car, if only you can earn that amount of income, if only you had that mate, then you could truly be happy. God has not yet given you what you need. What happens when we fall into that deception of we don't have enough yet? I want you to hold your place here and turn over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. And James is going to trace what happens when we 
fail to be grateful for what we have, when our hearts are filled with discontent, he's going to discuss the obvious fallout of discontent in our life. Now look at James 3, verse 16. James says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now then go to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Remember, there were no chapter divisions in the original text, so this is all one thought. What is the source of quarrels and conflict among you? Is not the source your own pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have. You commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then look at verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me give you the Jeffers paraphrase of what James is saying here. James is saying, flee the devil, run from him with everything you have. Because Satan is promoting a false value system, a worldly value system that equates money with success, sex with love, power with purpose. And when you fall for that worldly value system, all it does is increase your cravings for more and more and more. And those increased cravings for more and more and more not only promote turmoil in your own life, but they promote dissension and chaos in your relationships with other people because you will clamor for what other people have and it will destroy every relationship you have. Now, don't you see that all around you? I mean, think about it. What is it that motivates a man to leave his wife and his children for another woman? What is the motivating factor? What is it that motivates an employee to inflate his resume as he tries to get a leg up on a competitor for a higher position? What is it that that motivates a businessman to engage in an illegal scheme and risk prison in order to obtain a certain amount of money? It's that drive for more and more and more, and it's all built on the lie, we don't have enough. And what I want you to see is once you fall for that lie, that God hasn't given you what you really need to be happy, that makes you susceptible to the second lie, and that is you are in control of your destiny. And that's built upon the feelings of pride and independence. In other words, when we come to the point that we don't believe God's given us what we need to be happy in life, we determine that we need to take control of our life. We need to set out on our own if our lives are truly going to be fulfilled. And so Satan next tempted Eve with that thought. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. For God knows that in the day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan was saying to Eve what he says to so many of us. The reason you don't have this particular thing you think you need is because God is withholding something good from your life. God is this cosmic killjoy who doesn't want you to experience happiness in life. And so he's going to withhold from you the things you really need for complete joy. And so if you want to be truly fulfilled, you need to take matters into your own hands. You need to start running your own life. Eve forgot that every good thing in her life already was a result of God's grace. That idyllic setting in the Garden of Eden, that hunk of a husband, Adam, that she was enjoying every day. All of those things were gifts from God. 
But somehow she deluded herself into thinking she was responsible for those things. And so she said, the next logical step is for me to get what I really need is to move out from under the will of God, to start running things on my own. And uh, by the way, you see that same spirit of independence in the world today. Today, we think that we're responsible for the good things in our life, and therefore, we must start running our lives ourselves. Yes, it appears every day that we make choices that determine our life and our destiny, but even these choices we seemingly make every day, every one of them falls within the boundaries of the sovereign will of God for us. He is our creator. He determines our fate. Think about it this way. If you've ever been on a cruise ship before on a seven or eight day journey, as you sail across the ocean, while you're on that cruise ship, you have all kinds of choices every day about what you're going to do. Are you going to sleep late? Are you going to get up early? Are you going to go to the midnight buffet or exercise some self-control? Are you going to read a book or are you going to take a nap? You seemingly have all of these choices every day of what to do. But while you're making your choices, the ship you are in is heading toward a certain destination that will arrive at a certain time, and the destiny of that ship is dependent upon the captain. In the same way, we have choices every day we make, but we have a captain who is ultimately in control of our lives. Eve did not believe that. She felt like that to experience happiness in life, she had to move out from under God's control of her life. And that led to Satan's third lie to Eve, based on the emotion of fear, you are all alone. Now listen to this, the great irony of acting independently from God is independence does not produce confidence, instead it produces fear. We would think when we took control of our own life and started acting independent of God that we would be filled with confidence. No, usually we're filled with fear. You see, all it takes is a disloyal mate or a maverick cancer cell or a random accident to quickly sober us up to the fact we're not in control of our lives. And if we no longer believe in a God who is in control of our life, then we quickly conclude that we are simply victims of random occurrences or random people that choose to assault us. And it's that realization that brings fear into our life. Again, here's the irony. As we teach our children, as we teach adults more and more that there is no God, As the new atheism takes hold of the thinking of our culture, the result isn't unbounded confidence, but increasing fear that seizes our culture. The late writer Michael Creighton wrote an article a few years ago called Let's Stop Scaring Ourselves. And he cataloged some of the wildest fears that have seized our culture in the last few decades. He said in 1975, Newsweek magazine warned that global temperatures were falling and could result in worldwide famine. Ten years later, scientists were warning of a rise in global temperatures that threatened the survival of the planet. Killer bees, cancer-inducing deodorants, swine flu epidemics, economic collapses, giant asteroids, and the anticipated meltdown from Y2K. Remember that one? Those are just some of the other manufactured fears in the last 60 years that have plagued society. Now listen to me this morning. The relationship 
between society's increasing fear and decreasing belief in the existence of God, that's not coincidental. You see, whenever you free yourself from the notion that there is a sovereign God who is controlling everything from the orbit of the planets to the details of your life, whenever you free yourself from that notion, it's only natural for you to begin calculating everything that can and could go wrong in your life. And you are seized, not with confidence, but by fear. That's what happened to the first couple, and that makes way for another emotion and the other lie. A a, a lie that is built on bitterness. A lie that says, you have been mistreated. You have been mistreated. I read one time about a robber who broke into a convenience store. He was trying to break into a vending machine after hours. He tried and tried to break into that vending machine. He was unsuccessful, so he started pulling on the machine. The machine fell on him left him trapped there for several hours. He sustained numerous injuries. His response, he sued the convenience store for the injuries he sustained while toppling the machine on himself. Now, I read that and I thought, Satan is a whole lot like that thief. I mean, it was Satan's pride. It was his discontent. It was his independence that led him to be ousted from heaven. And yet, instead of taking the blame for his actions, he had to blame somebody else. He became filled with bitterness, blaming God for his predicament, and that's why he launched this worldwide assault on the kingdom of God. Today, every sin in the world can be traced back to Satan's resentment toward God. And so it's no surprise again that after Adam and Eve started to feel the fallout of their rebellion against God, Once again, Satan comes to the first couple and he teaches them that they need to blame others rather than themselves for the situation they were in. And they learned how to do that very, very quickly. God comes to Adam and Eve and the serpent calls them together for a meeting to confront them about their rebellion against him. And so he starts with Adam asking for an explanation. Why did you do this thing? Now look at verse 12 of Genesis 3. The man said... The man said to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. (laughs) Do you hear what Adam is saying? God, I was doing just fine in this garden when I was all alone, enjoying the birds and the bees and, and communing with the hippopotami. Everything was just great here in the garden. But no, you wouldn't leave me alone here. Instead, you gave me this woman, this woman. And she's the one who made me do this thing. Go talk to her. Well, God says, okay, I'll confront the woman. And she, by this time, had learned very quickly how to play the blame game. Look at what she says in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate. In other words, God, if you had not created this slimeball creature known as the serpent... I never would have in a thousand years taken from that tree. It's the serpent's fault. That's Satan's trick to keep us from taking responsibility for our actions. When we blame other people or God for the problems we're facing, it blinds us to our need for God's forgiveness and it holds us hostage 
to those patterns of behavior that are responsible for our predicament to begin with. And that's why Satan knows the most effective blindfold to our need for forgiveness and change in our life is the blindfold called bitterness. Satan knew that all too well. Now, it's true that there are times when other people do wrong us. You cannot control what other people choose to do to you, but you can control your response to those offenses. When somebody wrongs you, you have two choices. You can hold on to that offense, hold it tightly, turn it over and over in your mind and your heart until it metastasizes into a tumor of bitterness. Or your second choice is to let go of the offense and the offender so that you're free to get on with your life. That's what the word forgive actually means. It means to release, to let go. I read one time about how Africans catch monkeys in the jungle. Fascinating how they do it. They will take a coconut and they will hollow out the coconut and then they'll put a hole around the coconut, a tiny hole, and then they'll place peanuts inside that coconut, set it out there in the jungle. The monkeys come by, they can, they can sniff out those peanuts and they reach their little arms into that hole in the coconut and they grab hold of those peanuts. But when they form that fist, they're unable to extract their hand from the coconut. They're held prisoner by the coconut. If simply they would let go, they could be free. (laughs) But they're not about to let go of those peanuts. And because of that, they're entrapped. What a great picture of what happens to us when we fail to forgive. You see, the only way we ever experience freedom is by letting go. By removing ourselves from that person and what they've done to us. Lewis Smead said it best when he said, When we forgive, we set the prisoner free. And the prisoner we set free is us. I don't have what I need to be happy in life. Therefore, I have to take control of my own life. I'm all alone. I alone am responsible for what happens to me. I've been mistreated by God or by other people. These are four of Satan's favorite lies. What can you do to combat these lies when Satan tries to plant them in your mind? Next time, we're going to look at Ephesians 6, the first of six strategies for winning the spirit wars. Paul says we need to replace destructive thoughts with God's thoughts. Or as Paul puts it, we need to put on the belt of truth. And we'll look at that next time. Now, don't be tempted to hit the pause button and go about your day. Let me urge you to take this study a step further so that these truths can truly become entrenched in your heart. We've prepared a number of resources to help you do that. And the first is a best-selling book I've written that coincides with our current series. It, too, is called The Divine Defense, Six Simple Strategies for Winning Your Biggest Battles. This isn't a devotional book that's filled with inspiration. This is your battle plan so that you're prepared to conquer the unseen enemy. Satan loves it when you get discouraged, when you're confused, when you're ready to toss in the towel. That's when he pounces. 
My book will equip you with six proven strategies for winning your spiritual battles against darkness. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll make sure a copy of The Divine Defense is shipped right away to your home. Let me assure you that your gift does more than cover the cost of the book. Your generous gift is touching lives all across America and around the world. Listen to this encouraging comment from a friend of Pathway to Victory. Pastor Jeffress, your teaching helped me through a very difficult time. After 33 years of marriage, I found myself divorced, needing to forgive my ex-spouse for years of abuse. Thank you for helping me find power and victory in Jesus Christ. You know, that thank you note actually belongs to you and all those of you who give generously, because it's your gifts that allow us to provide these daily programs that minister to multitudes across our country and around the world. Keep up the good work by investing in Pathway to Victory. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you The Divine Defense. It's Dr. Jeffress' best-selling book on spiritual warfare. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete Divine Defense CD and DVD teaching set. This set contains every message you'll be hearing this month, including much more content than we've had time to air on the broadcast. To request the Divine Defense on CD and DVD, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. The devil has a personal vendetta against every child of God. And next time, we'll discover the spiritual armor that God has given every Christian to defend ourselves. Hear a message called, When Satan Comes Knocking. That's Monday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.